Collective, collective, what is good? I, you know, I, I just want to be honest, start on the get-go here. I love this night. I love it. I love it with everything inside of me. I love just when people walk in and just the conversations that are happening, even though there's so many different pockets, there's so many different reasons people come here and from different cities. I know there's Canton, Missouri, there's Hannibal, Missouri, then there's Quincy, and then all the surrounding areas. Like That we get to come to a place like this, have a worship set like that, and then have some time just to open up God's word together. And I just want you to know, anybody that's on this stage, I'm going to speak for them, all right? It is a huge privilege for us. Like, we don't take this lightly. There is a huge burden, uh, a huge responsibility that comes from anybody that has a microphone that is uh, speaking to you. I don't take that lightly. It's a huge burden. And I know for me, like, one of my biggest prayers, there's two things I pray for more than anything for Collective. Number one, that when people come into this room, everybody takes a step closer to Jesus. Like, Wherever you're at, I don't know what your walk looks like. I don't know what your relationship with Jesus looks like. It may not be even a walk, but maybe you're just, you take one small step towards him. Or if you've been a Christian for a long time, man, we never think, we never figure things completely out, right? We're on this journey, we're on this path uh, towards heaven, but we take another step towards him. And the second prayer is this, and I'm super passionate about this, that whenever somebody walks through these doors, whether it's your first time or you've been here since day one, that you feel welcomed, that you know there's a community of people around you, that you know that someone is going to say hello to you, that someone genuinely cares how you're doing. And if you don't feel that way, man, that breaks my heart, and I want to make sure we make that right, because that is every intention. Anybody that's wearing a name tag uh, or on the leadership team, like that's our desire, is when you walk in here, you feel loved. You feel connected. And so this sermon I'm about to preach tonight, it, it didn't come easy. It, and it didn't come very quickly to me. It actually was quite opposite. It, it took a long time to figure out exactly uh, what I wanted to say, how I wanted to say it. It took a lot of prayer. It took me down some rabbit trails as I was kind of preparing for it. But God gave me a message, and I'm, I'm not sure it, it, it's probably going to go the way I thought it was going to go. But the, the title of this message is When God Doesn't Make Sense. So I'm going to start a little bit differently. I just want you to track with me through this whole thing. But I want to ask this, this question first. Have you ever had an encounter, you've seen something, or you've heard someone say something that was just completely ludicrous, and you're like, that doesn't make any sense? Anybody have one of those moments? You, you saw it. You're like, what in the world is that person thinking? Or why did they do that? Did they, did they think through that response? Did they, did they think before that came out of their mouth? Did they think before they did that? I know a lot of us, here's the thing. We have to understand this. Listen, everywhere we go, whatever room you walk into, whatever environment you're in, that maybe that you said that in, you have to understand a couple things. We all bring different expectations we all bring in different experiences. We all have different likes. We have different dislikes. We have different annoyances. Listen, God created us very unique. He didn't make us the same. And so there's a lot of times we bring in all of those things, and what doesn't make sense to us might make sense to somebody else. When I look uh, throughout the world, if I kind of look at my inner thoughts and I look around, I, I have a couple of those. Like these, this doesn't make any sense. 
The first thing I, I always say, this doesn't make any sense, is how in the world can the Dallas Cowboys be so good and so bad in the same season? It doesn't make any sense I'm a fan of the Dallas Cowboys, and it doesn't sound like there's many, very many fans out there. I know there's at least one in there. Thank you. Okay, two, three. Oh, praise the Lord. But it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense why Kim Kardashian is dating Pete Davidson. Like, it just, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make, did someone make it a, you, you give a reason for why they're dating? You support them. Okay, there's someone in the house that supports that relationship. It doesn't make any sense why girls like watching The Bachelor. And some guys, that really doesn't make any sense for the guys. Okay, wow. Listen, I'm going to tell my wife. She loves The Bachelor, and she's watching it, and I am just despising her every moment she has that show on in my house. And when she goes to bachelor parties, it drives me absolutely crazy. Listen, it doesn't make any sense doesn't make any sense how people would go to Taco Bell over Qdoba. It just doesn't make any sense to me. You're going to pay the same price. Get real meat, all right? And if you've been a Taco Bell person, be a Qdoba person, okay? They're sponsoring tonight's message, all right? It doesn't make any sense why people don't drink Diet Coke. Like, all right. A little more serious. It doesn't make any sense that COVID-19 is still a thing, that there's these new variants coming and shocking the markets and shocking the world again, and uh, all these employers are trying to figure out and navigate this, this thing, and it's almost been two years. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. You've been a part of Collective most of the semester. I talk a lot about mental health. It doesn't make sense to me that it's still a stigma, that, that to talk about mental health, to have real conversations about it. It doesn't make any sense that a person comes to the realization, they, they feel like they have no more outs, that uh, they don't feel like they can reach out and get any help, so their only way out, they feel like, is to take their own life. It doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make sense that we as Christians, all right, listen, act the way we do to a world who is so actively watching us. That actually makes a little bit of sense to me because we're in a broken world. But still I go, that doesn't make any sense. But yet I know I'm right there with you all. I put us in that same boat as Christians. There's a lot of things in my mind, in my experiences, in my scope of life that doesn't make sense to me. But that's not why we're here. We're going to look at a story tonight. One that I'm uh, a little excited to talk about. I love the story of Ruth, and if you've been in church for a long time, most of you probably know the story of Ruth, and I'm actually not going to tell the whole story. I'm, I'm going to probably zero in on an area that you probably haven't zeroed in too much on. It. Maybe if you studied it, you have, but I want to learn three things from this story, and it's primarily not even Ruth. It's really Naomi, the, the mom or mother-in-law, and her husband, Elimelech. So, we're going to pick it up in Ruth chapter 1, and we're just going to read the first two verses, and I'm going to kind of go from there. So let's pick it up in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, In the days where the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land, so a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home, went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and his two sons with him. Quick pause, listen. They're in Israel. This is after the, the sea split. They went from the wilderness um, in slavery, they, get, they went through the, the, the sea, 
the waters come on the Egyptians and they enter the promised land. They're in the promised land, but now they're going to Moab, and I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife was Naomi. The two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Epaphrathites, a lot of fun words, love that. And they were from Bethlehem, the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. So I, I gave you a little bit of background, but let me give you a little bit more background real quick. So right now you have these people who are from Israel, they're from Bethlehem, and all of a sudden they decide there's a famine in the land and that they are going to run away from their land to this town of Moab, all right, the city of Moab. Now listen, God promised, and it's in Deuteronomy, we're going to read it in just a little bit, that as long as the Israelites were obedient to him, there was always going to be plenty in the promised land. That as long as they were obedient, following him, everything was going to be just fine. But Deuteronomy chapter 11 says this, If you carefully obey the commands I'm giving you today, here's God speaking to them, and if you love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and soul, he will send the rains in the proper seasons, the early and the late rains, so you can bring in your harvest of grain, new wine, and olive oil. He will give you a lush pasture land for your livestock, and you yourselves will have all you want to eat. But be careful, listen to this, don't let your heart be deceived so that you turn away from the Lord and serve and worship other gods. If you do, the Lord's anger will burn against you. He will shut the sky. He'll hold back the rain, and the ground will fail to produce its harvest, and you will quickly die in the good land the Lord is giving you. Listen, there's a famine in the land. The Israelites are being disobedient. Naomi and Elimelech, they take their family, and they leave the promised land. They go backwards into this land that is seeking false gods. Okay, the Lord, although he's present everywhere, the people who are in this land are not seeking the Lord. They have false gods. One commentary I was reading actually says that they went to Moab in order to get there. Listen, they had to do this. They had to hike through a desolate Jericho Pass, through the Judean wilderness near the Dead Sea, going across the Jordan River in the land of Moab. It says this, this was a definite departure from the promised land of Israel and a a return towards the wilderness from which God had already delivered them hundreds of years before. This was clearly steps in the wrong direction. So we have these two. There's trouble ahead of them. There's a famine in their land. They run away, which is my first point of this night. I want us to learn from the story is it doesn't make any sense to run away from your problems. That's what they were doing. They were running away from their problems. They, they could have been a part of the solution. They could have meant created a charge with the other believers and figured out a way to, to create change and create obedience to the Lord their God, but they, instead they went to a, a foreign land and a land that was seeking false gods. And because of that, problems followed them. Listen, Just because you walk away from problems, you run away from problems, don't mean the problems get erased. Actually, the problems follow you because you're still there. A lot of times, we or you are a part of the problem, and when you run, the problems come with you. Can you think of a time in your life where you've just ran away from a problem before? Did it go away? Can I be honest with you? In my time of ministry, there was a time, and I don't share this very often, I'm hoping the elders of this church and Jerry and Clayton are not watching this message. There was a time where I was really struggling in ministry here. And I was ready to run away. 
I didn't want to have hard conversations. I didn't want to deal with some of the things. I didn't want to admit some of the faults I was having. And so my, my intuition was run. Not from ministry, but go to a different ministry. Go to another land. Do ministry. And it was, if it wasn't for a good brother in Christ, listen, this is why this group is so important, to be around other believers. He, he, I sat down, and we were talking through it, and he said this, and I'll never forget. He said, are you running away from something or are you running to something with God? And I had to face the facts. I was running away from my problems. Those problems would have continued with me if I didn't deal with what I was deal- dealt with. And so I dealt with them. Praise God, I'm still here. Maybe for some of you, you're like, oh, I wish you would have went. But hey, that's okay. I'm here. And it was a season in my life that I, I don't take lightly. Because I tried to run away, and just like Naomi and Elimelech did. They tried to run away from their problems. And but because they ran away, listen, problems followed them, and tragedy followed them. Scripture says that her husband died and left her with two sons, her two sons, right? Those two sons married two Moabite women. Their names were, here comes Ruth and Orpah. I was talking to Jerry this week about this message, and he kept saying Orpah. And I was like, oh, it's like, Orpah. Like, I, I, just, like, I just thought it was Orpah. But he's like, Orpah. And I was like, okay. So anyway, Ruth and Orpah enter in the story. <laughs> Listen, I don't know, I'm get off track pretty easily. They married these sons, and then actually, 10 years later, after her husband dies, her two sons die. So now you have this mom who ran away from her her land that she knew. She ran away from her problems. She came into this land that was seeking false gods. Her husband dies. Her two sons die. And she's left with her two daughters-in-law. And when in very quickly after, in verse 6, all this happened in five verses in Ruth chapter 1, all right? But in verse 6, she starts hearing, she starts getting reports how the Lord has started blessing the people of Judah and by giving them good crops again. So she, on the other side of running, now she's hearing Listen, there's obedience happening. God is providing crops. And she's like, I need to go back. I need to go back to my land. And so she, she talks to her daughters and she says, you guys come with me. And uh, very shortly into their journey, she actually stops her daughters, Ruth and Orpah. And she says, listen, you guys actually need to stay. Don't go with me. Uh, you need to go back to your homes. You need to go back to your mother's house. You need to stay here. Orpah, she listened. And basically, that's the last time we ever hear from Orpah. Her story's over right there. She decides, I'm going to stay in my land of Moab, seeking false gods. But Ruth, says in Scripture, she says she clinged very tightly to her mother-in-law. And this is where this most, one of the most famous verses, you've probably heard this. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, it says this. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me ever so severely if I allow anything but death separate us. Here's the second thing you can discover from this story so far. This time we we get it from Ruth. It doesn't make sense to lean on your own understanding. It just doesn't. Because listen, if Ruth leaned on her own understanding, there is no way she should have gone with Naomi back to a foreign land for her. Like, you have two widows. They don't have husbands to take care of them. 
They, uh, uh, Naomi wasn't able to have any more kids to provide for, for uh, Ruth to have a husband. Like she was, It was basically a death wish for her to go with Naomi, but she stuck with her. She says, no, listen, your people will be my people. Your, your God will be my God, the Almighty. He will be my Almighty. One of my favorite verses when I think about this, when, when she didn't lean on her own understanding, I always go to Proverbs 3. Listen, if you are reading Scripture... The biggest prayer that, that I have for you too and when you read scripture is that you just instill scriptures inside of your heart because when, when troubles come, when hardships come, when valleys come, man, you can pull through it, even if it's just short verses. And Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 is one of those verses for me. It holds power. And it says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. What, what that's saying is, listen, everything we do, we, we're trusting in the Lord. A lot of times we lean on our own knowledge, our own understanding, but we need to be seeking His will. A lot of times when we make decisions, we trust, man, this right here. I know we have smart people in here, but this right here or these feelings right here can really get us in trouble can really get us in trouble. We need to not seek our own understanding, but we need to seek, man, what the Lord is telling us, what the Holy Spirit that is living inside of us is convicting us of. He makes it very clear when you spend time with him, when you surround yourself with other believers, when you worship, when you pray. He does that. Some of you know exactly what it's like to make a decision that's not popular, and that's not easy, but man, your, your spirit just couldn't shake it. For others of you, you've been so scared to make that decision. You've been so scared to take that step of faith, that step of faith that Ruth took to go with her mother-in-law back to Bethlehem, to the promised land. But it happens in parenting too. I know a lot of you, you don't have kids. But you know kids very well. Kids don't have the capacity to be critical thinkers. They only know what, what they see. They only know what's around them. They're not able to like see long term. I know we may think we can too, but we're not able to as well as we think we do, but there is one that can. His name is, is the Lord. Let me give you one final takeaway. The final uh, takeaway from the story of Naomi and Ruth is life doesn't make sense, but God does. Life doesn't make sense but God does. When you think about this story, I'm going to finish the story for some of you who, who aren't familiar with it. Ruth had no idea what God was going to do with her story. Naomi had absolutely no idea how God was going to continue to write her story. It says actually when she came back to Bethlehem, she returned to her land. The people were super excited to see her. Like they were pumped that Naomi was here. And they're like, oh my goodness, Naomi's here. And she's like, no, don't call me Naomi. She says, call me Mara, which means bitter. I mean, she had to be pretty bitter at this point. She lost her husband. She ran away from her problems and tragedy. She, she, she lost her husband. She lost her two sons. And now she has to fight for life as a widow to try to provide for herself. And now for Naomi, or for Ruth. So she said, call me bitter. But she had no idea what God was going to do. Sim really shortly after that, Ruth and, and her are living together, and 
Ruth asked for permission to go out on a field and collect the extra harvest. The widows were able to go in the fields to do that, and they'd leave some seed behind and some, some crops behind so they can have food. And as she's doing that, she encounters a man. His name is Boaz. Boaz actually has relation to Elimelech, and Boaz was really interested in Ruth, ends up marrying her, and ends up being his, her kinship redeemer, redeems her, redeems Naomi, and provides for them. And it's a beautiful story. But the, the best part about this story is this. Listen, I love this. That Ruth and Boaz, they had a son. His name was Obed. Obed had a son. His name was Jesse. Jesse had a lot of sons, as we know in some of the stories, but one of those sons was David, King David, who was the very line that Jesus came from that we talk about and we're about to celebrate this Christmas. Ruth was a part of that. Naomi was a part of that. It's pretty incredible, like God can still work through our disobedience to still make his plan work out for our good because we can rest assured that we serve a God who is all-knowing, we can have peace, knowing that we don't understand everything, but we have a God who understands all, and he holds it all together for his good. You can't tell me that God doesn't make sense. There's so many stories being written in this room, and you may be questioning it right now. You may have a, a really hard time right now, and I get it but you have no idea the story that God is writing. Listen, he doesn't intend for bad things to happen. He didn't create it that way. That was a sin that was entered in the world, but he's still using our disobedience. He's still using all the things that are happening, and he's still working them together for his good. So, how do we respond to these things? There's three things we can do. I want to give you three responses to those three points. The first thing is this. Stop running away from God. And start running towards him. Stop running away from God. Instead, run towards him. Listen, there's so many of you in this room, and I get it because I was there for so long. You've just been running away. You've been turning your back on God. You've been running and doing your own thing. God's back there. And I'm just telling you tonight, just take one step. Take one step towards him. You being here is one of those steps. What's your next step? The second thing is stop trusting your own knowledge. Okay, I know you're smart. I know you're wise. Instead, I need you to seek his will. His will is good, pleasing, and perfect. That's what scripture says, and I trust that. I trust his upper story. I trust his plan. And some of you are like, how do I know his will? Listen, if you're walking closely with God, if you're in your word, if you're allowing yourself to listen and stop uh, and just abide in him and listen to him and pray to him and again, surround yourself with other believers, listen, you're on the right track to uh, knowing his will for your life. The third thing is you need to stop trying to make sense out of a broken world because it will never make sense. It'll never make sense. This world will never make sense Instead, you need to tell others about a God of peace that holds everything together. And this is where I know, listen, for some of you, things are falling apart, have fallen apart. But I'm telling you right now, have encouragement. He's, you have a God who's holding you, holding you together. Jesus told a story, a parable, 
that I feel like really relates to this story. And if I've shared this at Collective before, I'm going to share it again. And I will probably share it again and again because I love this story. And I think it connects so well to the story that we just talked about with Ruth and Naomi and, and the whole family. Jesus tells a story about a, a father who has two sons. It's the prodigal son. Bear with me if you've heard it, but maybe you'll hear it in a different light tonight because that's what Scripture does. When you listen to stories, sometimes you read them differently, something else hits you. So there's a father and two sons, and the younger son comes to the father and and basically says, I I want my inheritance right now. Dad, I I want my inheritance. Basically what he's saying is, Dad, I don't want to live in your house anymore. I don't want to follow your rules. I don't want you even alive, essentially. He says, I wish you were dead Give me my inheritance, what's due to me, and I will go on my own way. And the father loves his child so much, he gives it to him. And this is a lot of our stories. Listen, I was here. This younger son takes his inheritance, and he, what does he do? He, He runs away. He goes to what Jesus says is a foreign land. And he spends all of his money on wild living. You guys can fill the gaps in for your own life, but you can probably see what this guy was doing. He spends it on partying and getting drunk and and maybe involving himself in sexual relations that he shouldn't be in. He's just having a grand old time doing things that he wanted to do. Away from the Father. But something happens. The money runs out. It's all gone. The parties stop. The friends start, stop hanging out with them. For some of you, you're kind of there right now. You're like, man, I was doing this, but now like, all my friends are getting married. They're having kids. They're buying houses. And I'm, just, I'm still going to bars. That's where this younger son finds him, himself. And then he's hungry, obviously. He's no money. He gets a job. Jesus continues the story. He gets a job with a pig farmer, and the pig farmer, and as he's feeding the pigs, he's looking at the pig slop, and to me, I just have such a picture of this story that he's just down on his knees, and he's he's digging in the the bucket of pig slop. I don't know what that smells like, but it can't smell good, and and he's feeding the pigs, and he's, he's doing this thing, and then he just, he has a moment, and he looks at it, and it starts to become appetizing to him. He's, he's thinking about eating this, and as he's probably about to take his, his bite of this nasty stuff, he starts thinking to himself, man, even, even the servants of my father's house eat better than this. He said, I'm going to go back to my father's house. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to tell him, I don't want to be your son anymore. I'll be a servant. Just let me be a servant. And so he makes his way. He makes his way back to his house, his old house. He leaves the foreign land. He turns back to God, to his father, and he makes his way. But the story says this. Listen, I don't think the son made it to to the door. I think the father saw him from a distance. I picture this long road, Forrest Gump style, like maybe in the south. Father meets his son. And as the son is about to just say, I'm so sorry, I want to be, the father just He puts a robe around his shoulder. He puts a ring on his finger. He puts sandals on his feet. He yells to all the servants behind him, Hey, kill the fattest calf, because my son, who was once dead, is now alive. Who was once lost, is now found. Listen, you're probably already saying, Man, how's he know my story right now? The prodigal son... He tried running away. The prodigal son tried living life on his own terms and his own knowledge. 
But when life didn't make sense, he ran back to the Father. And I want you to catch this. The Father is always waiting for his son and his daughter to come home. For some of you guys in this room, listen, I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you out of this foreign land called Moab for you. It's time to stop living this life over here. Maybe you haven't ran out of money yet. Maybe you're still enjoying it, still giving you pleasure, and you're, you're following all the things of your heart, and it's, it's creating that, and man, you're enjoying all of it. But man, maybe you're feeling that conviction, just that one tug in your heart tonight that it's like, I don't need this. I need to turn around. I need to stop running away from my problems. I need to stop running away. But I need to run towards him. I need to stop leaning on my own understanding and trust in his plan and his will. And listen, this is his will for your life. I know it. It's clear. His will for your life is that you are his child. That you follow him with your whole heart. You surrender every single part of you. Every desire, every job, every relationship, your money. Yeah, I know, it's, it's awful, right? It sounds, no, because you can't control anything, but the God of peace who holds everything together can. And he desires a relationship with you, but he didn't create you to be a robot. He created you to make that decision on your own, to turn towards him. And if you've never made that decision, listen, tonight's the night. We're going to say this every single week of the collective. Every single time you come in this this building, this room, you're going to be invited to start that intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And there is no better time than right now to lay your life down, to ask God to just take over it, invade the inside of you, to be obedient in the area of baptism, to get in that water that's warm, that's ready for you, to identify with his death and his burial and come out alive and be resurrected in your faith. If that is you, listen, there are gonna be people on both sides. I'm gonna be here. There's gonna be people in the back on both sides that would love to talk with you tonight. And I'm, I'm imploring you. I'm telling you. This will not fulfill you this foreign land, at least not for very long, and especially for eternity. Come home running to him. For us believers, us Christians in here, listen, our lives should draw others to God. People should look at you, people should look at me, the way we live, the way we react to tragedy, the way we react to mountaintop experiences, the way we react to, uh, react to, to valley experiences, and they should be like, I want what that person has. I don't know how they do it. Our lives should reflect Jesus in such a way. Even when things are hard, we, as Christians, we need to cling harder. And I know you're carrying burdens too. Listen, you may be questioning, and I want you to know that's okay, because we also have a big God who can take that. And if you have burdens that you can just come up here and you can get on your knees and you can just pray, man, God, I, I, I don't understand this. I don't know why this is happening right now. I can't believe that I, I'm even going through. He can handle it. He can. But on the outside, we need to show others what it looks like to have faith in a God 
even though we can't see or understand. Sometimes God doesn't make sense when in all actuality, it's probably because you or I gave them that worldview just by watching us. And that breaks my heart, so I want to do better. So that's what this moment of response of worship is. We're going to stand in just a little bit. We're going to sing some songs that we would respond in such a way where we humble ourselves before the Lord and we sing out songs of thankfulness. And when we feel like God doesn't make sense, listen, He does. The world doesn't. So let's respond tonight. Would you guys stand with me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I I thank you for a moment like this tonight to share your word, your truth. God, I pray that in this moment of worship, God, that you would break walls down. Right now, I, I just have this strong conviction, this strong feeling that someone is wrestling with something. There's, there's a person in this room that, man, is just is feeling far from you, but they, they want to make that turn towards you, but something's holding them back. So God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you take all of that away. You create such a path, an easy path for them to come forward and respond that they would be bold tonight. God, if they, if they need someone to just pray over them, that that there are people here that are willing and and ready to do that, to help carry their burdens with them, that they're not alone. God, I pray that our worship, the the words that we sing, the expressions through our worship, maybe, maybe just our hands extended out with our palms up, is just a sign of just saying, this is us surrendered. We are in all of you, God. You're all knowing, and because of that, that brings me peace. So God, we just love you, we worship you, and we want to respond right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.